God's Word. Let's not waste any time. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, just lift up your hand. We've got plenty of copies of the Scriptures here this morning. Love to get a copy of God's Word for you. Acts chapter 2. We'll continue in our study through the book of Acts. I'll just give you a little bit of a recap of where we've been so far. Acts begins with Jesus' last words before the ascension, where he states in chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. One of the overall themes in the book of Acts is to be a witness. In chapter 2, we have the powerful recording of Pentecost, where God comes down from heaven with a rushing wind and tongues of fire and pours out his Spirit on all mankind. And I was so encouraged last week just looking at how God transforms Peter. One moment Peter is denying Jesus, the next moment Peter is preaching the word of God, it's cutting to the heart, and over 3,000 souls entered the kingdom of God. It's just awesome. Well, here's our text this morning. This is Luke's first record of the church's first gathering. Many people refer to this as the early church or the Acts 2 church. Let's look at the scriptures together. Acts 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone who might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, the breaking of bread from house to house, and they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, and praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What an awesome passage, isn't it? It's really inspiring to see. Think about this for a moment. This is the church. The Holy Spirit had come upon these souls, and this is how they chose to live. Now here's how I want to begin this morning. I want to give us three overall observations to the text. Now observations are not interpretations. Observations are like Bible study 101. These are just things that we see in the text. There are many observations. I'm going to point us to three this morning. Observation number one, the church is established for the redeemed. Look at verse 38 with me. Peter said to them, repent. Each of you will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is about redemption. Look at verse 41. So then, those who received the word were baptized, and that day they added 3,000 souls. This is so important for us to understand that the establishment of the church is for the redeemed. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. Now, I don't want to confuse you today. 
This does not mean that there is no room for the lost. This does not mean that the seats that are in this room are saved for the members of the church. In fact, here at Crossroads, I hope that we're not hoping to attract other believers to our church, but solely the mission of the church is for the lost. Amen? But the establishment in in Luke's record here of the early church was for the redeemed. Observation number two, the church is active, not passive. I want you to look at the verbs that Luke uses in this text. They all end with ing. Verse 42 says, continually devoting, breaking bread. Verse 43, they kept feeling a sense of awe. Signs were taking place. Verse 45, they began selling, sharing. Verse 46, day-to-day continuing. Verse 47, praising the Lord. The church is active, not passive. The church is not pastor, entertain me. The church is not stage, audience. The church is not worship leader, sing me a new song. The church is vibrantly active in service to God and to one another. Do you believe this this morning? Observation number three. This is the most important observation that will help us set a basis for the rest of the things that we look at this morning. This passage is descriptive rather than prescriptive. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. When you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription, he's prescribing something for you to do, something for you to take. The Bible talks about this as imperative commands or direct teachings. Now, God does not suggest things. He commands things. And when he commands things, these are things that brothers and sisters ought to live out in their life. This is why I bring this up this morning. Luke is writing a narrative. He is describing what is happening in the church, and therefore, I cannot stand in front of you today and say, Crossroads Bible Church, you need to live this way. This is so important. I have heard sermon after sermon after sermon of pastors and preachers who I respect that say, we need to get back to the Acts 2 church, that this is the purest form of the church that the body of Christ needs to live this way. Now, if the Holy Spirit today comes and urges you and inspires you to live according to the way that Luke describes here, awesome. I'm all for it. But I can't stand in front of you and command you to do so. So here's what I want to say. What I want to do is I want to take this text and I want to unpack what Luke is describing and let the Holy Spirit move us to application. Amen? Let's get after it from the start here. Here's what we have of the first record of the church, is that the church is devoted to four things. Let's look at verse 42. They continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The number one thing that the church is devoted to is the Word of God. Now, the text here says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
The apostles' teaching is Jesus' teaching, mainly in the Gospels, but I also believe it's Jesus' teaching after the resurrection. But if you look at the church today and what we have, we have the greatest treasure known to mankind. We have the Holy Scriptures, and therefore it is safe for us to say that our church today is to be devoted to the entire Word of God. Give you some scriptures to back this point up. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. I love Peter's account on his inspiration for the word. He says in 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, they long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect for salvation. Now this hits home for me a little bit. We have our third child. My son Dylan is six weeks old, and this is as good as it gets. He survives completely right now on his mother's milk. This is the picture that Peter wants us to give, that the word of God is survival. It's food for the soul. It's nourishment. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I don't think it's a coincidence, brothers and sisters, that the early church, first and foremost, is devoted to the word of God. Psalm 19.7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I love John's gospel because John's gospel clearly states what the word is. In John 1.1, it says, in the beginning, that's the beginning of time, was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. If you look at John 1.1 this week, you will actually see that the word, the W, is capitalized for the word word, signifying that the word is Jesus. He backs this point up in John 1.14 when he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Brothers and sisters, if you want to grow in your relationship, in your walk with God, if you say you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, look no further than the Word of God. Let me just ask our community this question this morning. Are you devoted to the Word? Are you in it? Do you love it? Is it nourishment for the soul? Do you survive on it? Maybe a better question for our community is this. How can I know, Derek? How can I know if I'm devoted to the Word? Well, I think Jesus makes it very clear in John 15, 8, where he says, Prove to be my disciples in that you bear much fruit. I think devotion is all about a life, and I think devotion is bearing fruit. I know a lot of people who read God's Word. I know a lot of people who read the Bible in a year. I know people who do morning devotions. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. In fact, I want to encourage your devotion to the Word. 
But if you're reading God's word for information, you're living in religion. If you're reading God's word for gospel change and transformation, driven by prayer through the Holy Spirit, God is not concerned with your devotion to the Bible. He's concerned with a life. And that's what Luke is getting here, that the early church is devoted to the word. And if you look at the scriptures we've looked at this morning, their life is bearing fruit. The second thing, the church is devoted to is fellowship. Now the Greek word for fellowship here is the word koinonia. We've heard this before, but koinonia is used differently. Koinonia is oneness, it's sharing, it's togetherness, but the fellowship here for koinonia actually means oneness and sharing with brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at how Luke describes the early church's fellowship. In verses 44 through 45. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and they were sharing them with all, anyone who might have need. Sounds pretty similar to the clothing drive that's out in the hallway. We're sharing things together. We're a community that's looking out for the needs of one another. My... Uh, In-laws are coming to celebrate Christmas with Charity and I in a couple of weeks. They live in Florida, and I want to just share this. Even if my father-in-law was here today, he would agree with me, no doubt, that my father-in-law do not have much in common. I like sports. He can't stand sports. I like golf balls, basketballs, tennis rackets. He likes fishing poles, guns, and boats. We just don't have much in common. He loves politics. I can't stand politics. He's a like extremely deep intellectual thinker. I'm just kind of like mesmerized when he talks about something. I'm like this big dreamer and I'm looking at the big picture. And so when we get together, we really don't have much in common. But this is Luke's point. 3,000 souls came to Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think all these people had a lot of things in common? I don't think that's what he's getting to. And this is the power of the relationship with the church and my father-in-law. We have one thing in common. We have both been changed by the gospel. We have a love for Jesus and a passion for the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening here. They're together. They're sharing. They don't like sports or have the same desire for pizza. They want to be together because they love Christ. You see what's happening here? It's awesome. And that's my father-in-law, and it gets really interesting around the Christmas table. <laughs> I'll tell you one other thing. The Bible does not give us a lot about personal fellowship but it does give us one command in the book of Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 gives us a clear command in verses 24 and 25. Let's look at what the author says. The reason I say the author is the jury is still out on who wrote the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. Let us consider 
how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see the whole purpose of fellowship, the purpose of brothers and sisters in Christ coming together and doing life together. It's to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds and to encourage one another. Now what the author does not say, and this is where God gives us the freedom to choose, he doesn't say that you need to be in a house church to have biblical fellowship. The author does not say that you need to be in a discipleship group that meets once a week. The author in the Bible does not say that as long as you attend a Bible study once a month, you're okay, you're living in biblical fellowship. But here's what the author does say. That if you forsake the reality of biblical fellowship and assembling together and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you're living in sin. I want to celebrate this morning the fellowship and the communities that God, by his grace, has established at Crossroads. I want to celebrate these things. I think about the relationships that I have with the boiler room and the Bridge Street House of Prayer. My assistant, Lauren, who lives with a group of girls in the Engedi House. And a lot of their vision and a lot of what they're about is living out some of the Acts 2 principles. It's awesome. I want to celebrate that. There's also a phenomenal movement of house churches here in our fellowship. Families getting together, studying God's word, praying together, sharing meals together, doing life together. Praise God for that. There's an awesome movement of discipleship in our women's ministry, in our men's ministries, and in our student ministries, and probably many things more that I'm not aware of. But just take a look around the room for a minute the number of people that are here, the number of people that go to our East Campus. It just wants me to ask the question, the percentage-wise of people that are involved in biblical fellowship versus the number of people who come to church every single week and do not know a soul. And I want to make a clear distinction right now that fellowship is not coming to church on Sunday. Fellowship is being in a vibrant, active community with brothers and sisters in Christ. So it begs this question, why today are so many people in the church not engaging in biblical fellowship? There are many reasons. I'll give you two, and I'll preface this from the beginning. These two reasons are my own opinion. I think the number one reason, hands down, why the body of Christ forsakes fellowship is because people are busy. Now, it's not wrong to be busy. Some people are busy with being in fellowship. But here's what I mean by being busy. I think people forsake fellowship because they're busy with the world. They're busy with schedules. They're busy with stuff. They're busy with shopping. They're busy with iPads. They're busy with Facebook. They're busy with sports. They're busy with AAU. They're busy. They're busy. They're busy. Now, I cannot look at any of you and say that you're busy. 
And I cannot tell you that any of those things in and of themselves are wrong or sinful. But when those things take away from our first love that the Bible clearly talks about giving our first fruits to God and it makes the church come into a place where we give our leftovers to God and we don't engage in biblical fellowship, I think we must ask the question, do we really love God? So I want to ask and put some scriptures in front of us today. And I pray that the Holy Spirit might be helping us ask ourselves some serious and personal questions. I'll just give us some scriptures to ponder that talk about the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, notice this, the love of the Father is not in him. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No soldier in active service, speaking of a Christ follower, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. I love what Jesus, when he talks about being busy with the world in Mark 4.19, Jesus says that the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the focus of things other than God actually choke out the word. Just think about that for a minute. That people who are busy do not allow the word of God to bear fruit in their life. I just want to say this before I move on. Help me, Lord. If you are busy with the world, I don't think that that excuse will hold up someday when you face the king. The second thing that I think is keeping people from biblical fellowship today is I really believe this, that people have something to hide. Maybe you're saying, well, Derek, what are people hiding today? People are hiding a lot, but I think it comes down to two categories. Number one, people forsake assembly with other Christians because they're hiding a sinful lifestyle. It's really easy to show up to church on Sunday. It's really easy to come in and out of the doors to shake a few hands and high-five some people. But it's difficult to live in fellowship with other people because your sin will always find you out. So what do people do? They retreat. They hide. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4 when he says that the deeds of the darkness, when they come into the light, they will be exposed. People have something to hide. The other thing, and I think is more pertinent in our culture, which is considered one of the most religious towns in America, the other thing that I think people are hiding is an immature walk with God. They come to church week after week after week, but they don't study the Bible, they don't live a life of prayer, they don't serve in the body, they don't disciple their kids. So what do they do? They hide. They don't let people know what kind of person they really are. They go through the motions. Brothers and sisters, please hear my heart. I am not saying this to condemn our body. I have such a deep passion for the church to be the church. But if this is you, if you're busy with the world, 
and you have something to hide, you're engaging and indulging in the problem instead of running to the solution. And the solution is fellowship with Christ and fellowship with the body. And this is the power of the church where you come together despite where you are in your life and you get around non-judgmental Christians and you start to get stuff on the table and you talk about your sin and you desire to get around people to teach you how to study the word, how to pray, how to live a life of devotion to Jesus. They call this accountability. And this is where the church needs to be devoted to today, to coming to fellowship, being around brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe some of you today, well, I don't want anybody to find me out. Well, here's one thing that the church has in common. Here's what you will find when you get involved with other people, that everybody in this room is so sinful and we all need a savior. The church is devoted to fellowship. The third thing of the church they're devoted to is the breaking of bread. Now the breaking of bread here could mean one of two things. The Lord's Supper which we know as communion, or sharing meals together. Now, I think it's both. Look at verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind, where? In the temple and breaking bread from house to house and taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Started to think about this this week. Why does Luke make breaking bread so important to what the church is devoted to today. Well, if you look at the core reason of why the Lord's Supper was established, you look to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, where it says, this is my body, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Breaking bread is all about remembrance. Well, remember what? Remember the cross. Remember the resurrection. Remember the ascension. Remember Pentecost. Guys, if you look at Christianity today, look no further than people coming together to remember. There are no new ideals of Christianity. There's new technology that gets us away from the heart. But there's no new messages being taught today. Christianity is about remembrance. It's about remembrance of the King and what he has done for us. It's the whole point of breaking bread. And I think it even goes further to what the Acts 2 community was doing. When they were sharing meals together, they weren't just enjoying pasta and pizza. They came together for the purpose of remembering what God had done for them. The church is devoted to the breaking of bread. And notice this last thing. The church is devoted to prayer. Praise God, the church is devoted to prayer. I think what was happening here, I think, The early church was praying for many things, but if you think about what just happened to them and you think about their mission, they had just received the Holy Spirit 
I believe the church was so focused on getting this message out that their number one prayer request was boldness. Boldness to share the gospel, boldness to advance the kingdom of God. No figure that in verse 47 it says the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day. I want to bring it back a little bit more fundamentally for us this morning and just ask you this simple question. What is prayer? I know we pray in church and we pray before our meals and we pray before we go to bed and we pray because that's what Christians are supposed to do, but what is prayer? Well, prayer is very simple. Prayer is the way we communicate with God. We talk to Him. We listen to Him. We seek and we find. We cry out. He hears our cries and delivers us. Prayer is the way we communicate with God. So some of you might be asking this question, well, Derek, how do I pray? I know I could give a six-week sermon just on the power of prayer. I want to simplify it in the morning and tell you what the Bible says about prayer. How does one pray? The first way, people pray for thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. We approach prayer to God to communicate Him, to thank Him. The second reason and why people pray today and how we pray, I love this, I'm so thankful for this, He actually lets us know we can present our request to Him. Amen? Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication present your request to God. The peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the third thing, sadly enough, that I think has missed the boat in the church today. It's clear in Scripture. People pray out of repentance. Confession of sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to giving thanks to the Father? When you fall, do you come back? Do you confess your sin to the Lord? Do you present your request to God? Do you come to Him out of thanksgiving, but also to Him out of need? This is prayer. Crawford Loritz is a pastor of a larger church in the South, a pastor who's ministered to me over the years. I'll never forget what he said about prayer. He said the number one reason why people refuse to live a life of prayer is pride. People are self-sufficient in themselves and they don't think they need God. Prayer is all about need and desperation for the Almighty. The early church is devoted to prayer. Now Luke's record of the early church starts with the establishment of what they were devoted to 
but I love this. It ends with the purpose of their devotion. Look at verse 47 with me. This is the purpose of the church. Praising God. Brothers and sisters, the first purpose of the church has always been the glory of God. The purpose of the church is not to build buildings. The purpose of the church is not to build programs that serve you. The purpose of the church is not for good or bad sermons. The purpose of the church is not for new worship songs. The purpose of the church is not for you to have a place to go gather on Sunday morning. The whole purpose of the church, first and foremost, is the glory of God. Anything that competes with this is idolatry. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving glory to God the Father. The second purpose of the church, you will not find it in our text here this morning, but it's consistent throughout all Scripture. The second purpose of the church is to edify the body. Ephesians 4.12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. If you want to know a definition of the church, it's right here. It's the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. And verse 15 says we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. The second purpose of the church on why we gather is to edify the body. And the third purpose, which is right here in our text in verse 47 is so that the lost will be found. Look at verse 47. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Been thinking about how to close this week. We've covered a lot of material this morning. When I sometimes think of the church... It's easy in my own heart to think of the global church or to think of Crossroads Bible and our body as the church. But if we really believe that the church is the body of Christ, it's so important that we make this personal this morning. What about you? What about me? We're the church. So I want to make this personal for us. I want us to ask ourselves these questions. Does my life glorify God? Does my life edify the church? And is my life involved with the Lord saving the lost? See, whether the answer is yes or no, and you only know it in your own heart, I think we're all on the same page here this morning. There's always massive room for improvement of carrying out the purposes of the church. So I ask this question, how do I get there? How might this be evident in my own life? I want my life to count. I want to carry out the purposes of the church. Well, I think the key to this entire passage comes down to one word. Devotion. Look at verse 42. 
they were continually devoting themselves. Now the Greek meaning here actually means to attend constantly. Here's the picture Luke wants to give us. Just look up here for a minute. Think about the personal attendant to the bride on her wedding day. Think about that. Some of you have been married before. This personal attendant who's constantly attending, constantly giving, constantly supporting, constantly pouring out. That's devotion. And it's an awesome thing, isn't it? Not because we have to, but because we want to. And here's the reality of our devotion, Crossroads Bible Church. It's devotion to the king of devotion. The king who devoted himself to teaching us. The king who devoted himself to fellowship with us. The king who devoted himself to breaking his body for us. And the king who still today devotes himself to interceding for us. I love what John Piper said when he said this, that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. That's devotion. It's total life surrender to the one who surrendered for you. Crossroads family, we are the church. And the church is always at its best living a life of devotion. Let's pray. Acts 2.42 says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. God, I don't really know what to pray this morning. All I can do is think of my own life. Just say, help me, God. Help me. Help me be more devoted to you. To your purposes for my life. God, I just pray in these moments now as we respond to you that your gospel would do what your gospel always does. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Not for the sake of response, but for the sake of change. So God, we just approach you now and we just rip open our hearts to you and we say, Lord Jesus, have your way with the bride. Have your way, the church. Oh God, I just pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on all men and let us see the revelation of the glory of the face of Christ.